It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Bax, and welcome back to Baxi's Musical Podcast. You know, from time to time, an emerging talent just seems to pop out of nowhere. But what you don't often get a chance to see is that these alleged overnight sensations don't just come out of nowhere. Usually, there's years of hard work, endless ambition, unwavering resilience infused with more than just a few strokes of good luck. You also have to have enough talent to put all that stuff together, because talent alone isn't always enough. Which brings me to today's guest. At the age of 19, Rosalind Crane was discovered by Adam Levine of Maroon 5. Not as a contestant on The Voice, Rosie was discovered by Levine a full year before that show went on the air and a full year before he would become a judge on that show. That was back in 2010. The year before that, as a freshman at USC, she had published a handful of songs, and by her sophomore year, she would become one of the background singers for Don Henley. And by 2012, Rosie would become the very first artist signed by Adam Levine's 222 record label. She would tour with Maroon 5, Kelly Clarkson, and a bunch of other people. But by 2018, she was able to release her first album called Bad Together with help from people like Kendrick Lamar and several others. This year, however, she's released a brand new EP entitled Berry, featuring heavyweights like Niall Rogers. What I'm getting at is this. Rosie is a talent that has captured an incredible amount of attention, loads of support, and has secured a couple of really good breaks along the way, including at least one appearance on the Jimmy Kimmel Live show. Rosie Crane is a woman with a tremendous amount of momentum and enough promise to make you think that she's about to become an overnight sensation, even though she's worked tirelessly to get to this point where she finally gets to talk to a guy like me. If that's not a sign of great things to come for this young lady, then I don't know what the hell is. This is my conversation with Rosie Crane on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Very good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's actually pretty exciting to be talking to someone who looks like they're about to explode all over the place. It's kind of nice. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. This sounds like it's a a pretty exciting time for you right now. Everything seems to kind of be reaching a momentum and everything seems to be about ready to click. What does that feel like? Um, It feels it feels great. I mean, I think for me, the the most satisfying feeling is feeling like I've really made music and art that feels like me and people are connecting with it. You know, like yeah. that's just kind of the most satisfying feeling in the world. Like I feel like we're building something that's long lasting. I was just, uh, I was listening to the new EP this week and you know, yeah. I mean, I may not be the guy to predict, to, to predict or identify, you know, what constitutes a hit or what does not constitute a hit, but it really does seem like, you know, when you hear a song and you hear like, okay, maybe things are falling into place here, you get the sense that the momentum is is, is really here. And th- this new album is coming out next month. I mean, there's just got to be an overwhelming anticipation for you right now. Tell me, yeah. what's, tell me what's going on in your head. I mean, the, the, the album is pretty much done. Now you're just waiting for its release. What is What does that anticipation feel like? It, it's hard sometimes. You know, I think the timing is always bizarre. Like these songs 
came from really specific moments in my life that some of them are fairly recently, some of them are pretty long time ago. And so I'm still kind of connecting to that. And then the creation of the album happened at various times. And and then now I'm just like you said, I'm done and I'm just waiting for it to be out. And it's like I've already it's like it's like we're on a time lapse or something like I'm right. like I'm, I'm already thinking about what I'm making next, honestly, <laughs> like I'm you know what I mean? Like I'm like, what record am I making next? So so I've been, I'm just excited to have it out in the world and have that chapter really closed and celebrated hopefully yeah so. and, I, and i know if that and if it were me i'd be consumed with excitement and fear and second guessing myself yes. at every possible Always. moment of course oh yeah no no i'm not allowed i would never let myself listen to the album <laughs> no <laughs> never again <laughs> well i would think that after you know after spending you know so much time putting together an album or you know any any song for that matter at some point you say it's either done or i just can't listen to it anymore hundred percent. I mean, the problem, the thing that's really interesting is that my music is so personal that I could theoretically keep editing this music forever. Cause like, it's, <laughs> it's about me. So it's like, it's really like capturing a moment in time. And if I, it's like, I, I have to just cut myself off because yeah. this album will represent a certain part of my life that for the most part, I'm not actually really in anymore. I'm in the, this new phase, you know? And so it's like, you, I can't really let the influence of me today influence the version of me however many months ago that finished this album yeah. you know so it is weird it's hard but but at the same time my favorite thing about releasing music is the songs are no longer mine it does not matter how many secrets of mine are in the lyrics and how personal the songs are it is no longer mine it belongs to the listener and like everybody can project their own stories hopefully into into my words and that's my favorite thing ever so they, it takes on a new life you know but the checks and the bank accounts do belong to you. So that's true. You know, I mean, yeah. it's kind of hard to get away from that. <laughs> business is business. That so, is true. so as I'm listening to the the EP the other day, I you know I come across the song uh, you know Consequences, and I immediately think, okay, if, there, if there's a hit on this thing, that's it. And then you know as I'm reading, and Niall Rogers is involved with it, and I'm just thinking, you know, how does it how does it feel to be working with a guy like that? He's a walking hit factory, and yeah. I mean, he's at the point in his career where I'm sure he doesn't really do anything unless he really believes in it. He doesn't have to. So when he's right. involved in a song or producing or co-producing, I don't know if he's just co-produced that song or others on the album, but I got to believe if you've got a guy like that in your corner, that's pretty telling. It is. I mean, it that has meant so much to me, like uh, the validation, just like you said, of, of Niall being like, yes, I want to work with you is I want to put my name on your song. You know, that as an artist just means so much to me because obviously he has like an unbelievable track record and an, uh, like an unreal like list of songs <laughs> that he's been a part of. It's outrageous. So and I know that, he, you know, really loves to support like newer artists now. Like like you said, it's like he doesn't really have he's do whatever he wants. So when yeah. you hear something that excites him, I think he he likes to be involved and that's so cool. And I, it's funny, I didn't meet him in person until this summer when the song had already been out and we had been, all we had done is FaceTimed and like called each other on the phone to finish the song. And then <laughs> at, we both played the show in London and we were on the same stage and I finally met him in person. It was very exciting. So does he, <laughs> I mean, what does a guy like that do? Does he, does he give you some advice? Does he just tell you a good job? I mean, yeah, I would, he, I would want to, I would not want to let that guy out of the room and just say, Niall, sit down totally. with me and tell me what I should be doing correctly. Yes. He's 
got insane stories. So he will call and tell me the most unbelievable stories. That's really fun. I mean, his life is like, there should be a movie about him. His life is so <laughs> insane. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, one thing I, that was fantastic about working with him is he really like was interested in my vision. You know, he's like, what are you hearing? What do you want for this song? And we were going to do a different song first, actually. And then we, we, and he was the same way. He was like, what's your vision for it? And I kind of told him to just try it, whatever. End of the day, like he was just very open, you know? Yeah. And then we ended up working on a song that made consequences was just made for him. So that one made more sense in the end. So as I'm trying to prepare for this interview and I'm, you know, reading up on as much Rosie information as I can possibly <laughs> find, the thing that, that keeps leaping out at me and 12 years ago, you allegedly get discovered by, Adam Levine of Maroon 5. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. What what actually happened? How did he find you or did you pursue him or Maroon 5? How did how did that come to be? It was crazy. It was um pretty fairy tale like in some ways. Um I was just a student at USC, a music student, and I wrote a song with a mutual friend of Adam's and he heard it and I guess he like stalked me on YouTube and watched some videos of me singing. And then he just literally wrote me an email being like, I don't have a label, but I'll start one if you'll be on it. Um, which was insane. I mean, I literally was like, a, I was like a sophomore in college, you know, it was, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> most, and most, you know, most people to get an email from an Adam Levine are like, okay, sure. And there's a Nigerian yeah. <laughs> prince who's going to give me a check for a million dollars. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it was it was sent, you know, his manager sent it through to me. So I, I knew it was real, but I definitely had to I definitely I was at a party when I got the email and I had to read it over and over. I asked my friend to read it. I was like, is this does this say what I think it says? Because I, I felt the same way. I was like, what? Um. So, you know, I'm listen. I, it's like I'm really grateful for somebody recognizing me like that. I mean, I'll, it's you know, I've come a long way since then, but I will never not be grateful for somebody of his in his position, his success, his power to see me, not know me and just hear my voice and believe in it. That, you know, is, that will always mean a lot to me. You are the first artist he signs to his his record company again, 12 years ago. Things start mm -hmm. to slowly transpire. You start touring. Sergio Mendez, I think you toured with. Don Henley, I think you toured with, too. That was before, actually. That's when was I was before? a background singer. All right. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> when I was in college, you know, I had some level of ambition, but I wasn't anywhere near that. Yeah. I don't know what was going on at the USC campus, but it was had to be a little bit more than football over there. Yeah. The pop music school is amazing. I, yeah. I Listen, I knew what I wanted to be when I was, like, six years old, but nobody in my family or in my world knew anything about being an artist or the entertainment industry at all and so I always felt like I had a lot to prove and I was running out of time and I had to do it right then and I had to figure it out so yes I came to school and I was like <laughs> I came in hot really I was ready to go yeah <laughs> it's got to be kind of yeah. nice though to, to to fashion yourself a, a, a music career and one that's showing a lot of promise and not having to go on the voice and have Adam be your coach to yeah. do it that's kind of kind of a cool way of doing yeah. it I remember at school, everybody saying, that's the only way you have to go on these shows. And, 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 and there's nothing, I don't have anything against those shows. Like they've been amazing to a lot of my friends and I know people love them and it's awesome. It's a great opportunity. It's just like, for me, like I'm a songwriter and an artist and it never felt, it, it always felt like too big of a risk of like letting go of too much control, which ironically kind of ends up happening anyway when you sign record deals when you're really young. But 
I I was just afraid of that. And I think I'm I'm proud of that, to be honest. I agree with you. I'm glad yeah. that I didn't have to go that route. Twelve years is still a, a long time from from that point yes. to now. So in other words, there's not gonna be a like a Rosy overnight success story. It's like it's taken twelve years <laughs> of, of paying dues <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and working hard and, and honing your craft. Obviously there's a certain amount of motivation that's coming directly from you and encouragement that's coming from others, but where is it coming from within you? What what's still you know, motivating you to to keep going after twelve yeah. years of working this hard? Oh, that's such a great question. Um you know, I think when I was six and I sang in this first grade talent show and I knew that's what I wanted to do, what I felt was not about attention. It wasn't even really about singing because I could sing anywhere. And it wasn't even about like music even. I, it was about this feeling of connection, I right. think. Like this feeling of I share something from my soul and these strangers out in front of me can have, a, can, can have an emotional reaction to that and feel what I can make them feel what I'm feeling. And I feel that as a fan all the time, you know, I listen to my favorite music and they make me feel all sorts of things. And I feel so attached and linked to these people all over the world that I've never met. And that to me is like my purpose. Like I, and I'm not trying to be too woo woo about it. It's like, it's just, it's just a fact. Like, I just like, that's what I'm supposed to do is connect with people. So it's, I've, you're right. I've had a lot of ups and downs and it has not been easy, certainly, but there was never a single moment in my entire life where I doubted it ever, because it's just, it's like, it's like saying I'm a, I have brown hair. Like it's just, it's just a fact. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to bad together from 2018. I've listened to the new EP. I listened to some of the other things that you've, uh, that you've released in between. And you said it yourself. I mean, your songwriting lyrically, certainly very, very personal and called from your own personal experiences. Tell me about that. How, I mean, how do you ap- approach the songwriting? Is it, is it, uh, are the, are the lyrics the thing that drives the music or is it the other way around? Where are you reaching to get to that point? Lyrics first, you hit the nail on the head. I don't know how to write a melody if I don't have a word. I mean, that's not, that's, I'm kind of exaggerating. Like obviously I can, but it's just so much harder. Like for me, it's all about the lyrics and the melody and the music just serves the story. Like that's just my perspective on it. So I write lyrics a ton. I'm journaling all the time. I'm writing poems all the time. And then I'll bring those into the studio with whoever I'm collaborating with. And I'll usually like read them my poem <laughs> and then we'll like jam on it basically. So it's definitely, it's definitely lyrics first for me. So, so how over the course of the last 12 years or whenever, you, whenever you started writing music, I'm going to assume it's probably yeah, further than 12 that, years, yeah. probably. Yeah you know, since you were a kid, but you know, how has that changed for you? Does it, is it, does it become easier? Does it become more difficult or do you really have to dig into this, you know, know, yeah, no, it goes in phases. You know, I think for a while I lost a little bit of the spark. I think with my first record deal and even at USC a little bit, I wasn't really um, treated like a songwriter and I'm not, you know, it's being this vulnerable requires a fair amount of like self like belief in yourself, you know, and at that age and that first record deal, I just, I didn't really get the validation that I was a writer. Um, and I kind of let that spark fade a little bit. So that was a big phase that got harder for me. And then once I got dropped from that label, uh, I really like spent a year just rebuilding myself Mm -hmm. as an artist. And that was all about writing. So I really learned these skills then it's like, for me, it's really about 
consistency, like making it a habit. I wake up every morning and I write something lyrically and getting out of my comfort zone, like in my life. Like, cause I, like you said, I write such personal songs. Like I need to do shit that scares me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and I, to- I would imagine, and I would imagine as an artist who does it that way, it's easier to, to, it's easier to keep doing it. If you've always done that, it that way, you know, sometimes you'll see an artist who, you know, will write lyrics just, you know, and they're just, you know, simple little love songs. And then, you know, 15 years later, they say, okay, now I'm going to write something really personal. And then at their point in their career, you know, a real personal song may be, you know, I got bumped to coach, uh, you know, <laughs> after, <laughs> after writing first class and I, and I didn't like right. the way it felt and and I'm hurt right. by it. But, right. but when you're, when you're in that zone of doing it, you know, I, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like anything else, the, the muscle memory of it's a muscle. Yeah, yeah totally. absolutely. Totally. Yeah. It's, and I noticed, you know, like I've been touring, I've been playing a lot of shows recently and I noticed that that can sometimes infringe a little bit on my writing. Cause it's like, it's such a different thing. It's just like you said, like you have to really maintain the muscle and like keep it in shape. Um, which is weird. Cause you think, you think of writing, Oh, the muse strikes me and I have some crazy inspiration and that does happen. But for me, it's like, I have to be prepared for that right. to happen. Like I need to be like open to it happening. And that requires me like staying emotionally connected to what I'm feeling every single day. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really I, exhausting. I, I, I gotta believe it is. So when I, you know, when I was listening to you know, your older stuff, way back in 2015 and I listened to you know where things are now and you know again I listened to the first record I listened to you know bad together and it just seems mm-hmm. like over the course of three or four years maybe there's a there's a leap in in your mm-hmm. songwriting like it's suddenly become maybe more sophisticated maybe more focused even a little jazzier in some in in some mm-hmm. places Definitely. do you feel that that that's true i mean do you feel like right now you're writing as as good as you have yes i think well first of all there's a lot of songs on that first step that i did put out with adam that i didn't write and that's i'll be honest i used to not say this but i would love to for those songs to not to not be in the internet like i just (laughs) i don't own them universal owns them so if they out there they feel bad for me they want to just do me a solid and just (laughs) though and and not because i and i I, the reason i don't say that very often is i know people love those songs and i don't want to take that away from them because i think they're amazing songs too i love them they're just not i didn't write a lot of them and they're just not they're not me i hadn't figured myself out yet and it's i was a kid when i got signed and it's just it's it's you're 100 percent right i I wouldn't say it was a leap as much as a, like I turned inwards and I just was myself like bad together is my first record to me. That, yeah. that is my first record, even though it's not, it is because that was the first time that I really had the autonomy to make the music I wanted to make. And, uh, undeniably I'm still evolving. Like I prefer, I will always prefer probably my most recent music. Like, I think that's the nature of being an artist, but bad together feels like me. I mean, it's my stories. It's just the stuff before that is not it's just not and i don't so that's always a tricky thing for me i think a lot of artists deal with that when they're signed when super young you know but yeah i i, I think my songwriting now is definitely it's best it's that de- i <laughs> I, I have to, to i have to agree i have to agree yeah but you've had a lot of a, a lot of people along the way kind of in your corner here i mean you're not just adam levine but i mean mm-hmm. i'm you know kendrick lamar has worked with you niall rogers like we talked about you've been on the kimmel show mm-hmm. You know, all these things have happened to you over the course of a very brief period of time and the second half of, of your of your music career. When you are 
experiencing those moments when these people are saying, listen, I love what you do. I want to help or, yeah, I'll be happy to help you or whatever it, it may be. What are you mm-hmm. learning from these people? And is it do they feel OK teaching you any of this stuff? Yeah. You know, I think every thing you mentioned, I learned something different. Um, I remember when I met Kendrick, which was incredible. He, I was like, what are you doing later? Like, we were just like being small talk kind of. <laughs> and he was like, back to the studio, back to the studio, always. And I could tell that was just like where he lived. And that was a few years before I really had my like a personal artistic awakening where I really understood that on the deeper level of what it means. Like what I was saying earlier about consistency and just constantly working. He was, he was the first spark of that. I was like, oh, okay, here's one of the greatest artists of our time telling me that all he's doing is, is creating. Yeah. And that was massive, you know. Jimmy Kimmel let me sing sing it twice on the show, which was really nice. We ended up using the first one I did, so it was live, but that was really nice <laughs> of him. <laughs> um, and I also learned that night, it's funny, actually, I did the song I was there to promote. was called Never Over You, which is more of like a more pop-leaning song of mine. And then at the end of the show, I sang, they let me just do a bit of my song called Uphill Battle, which is a more personal like I'm more I'm I'm a little bit more proud of that song that song means a lot to me and at the end the next day I found out that the like sales uptake or whatever with Uphill Battle was like 300 percent more than Never Over You was and that was a little light bulb for me too I was like oh, okay so maybe the music that I personally connect with the most is the guiding light I should be following it's like I just kept getting I just kept getting reinforced by these brilliant artists to trust your gut trust yeah. your gut you're an artist for a reason. There's a lot of people around you with a lot of ideas and a lot of those ideas are good, but they, the problem is you're unique. And that is the point, you know, like you're, you're here to express something specific and they all kind of reinforce that for me in different ways. I would say. I want to talk about your voice here for a minute because you know, we could talk about songwriting all day long, but the, the fact of the matter is the primary instrument you're dealing with is this voice. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> You know, it it doesn't happen very often when a voice doesn't always seem to fit the person it's coming from. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, when I listen to it, I close my eyes and I, and I and I I see someone who's older and you know maybe you know just has lived you know a, 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 like maybe a rougher mm-hmm. existence. It's this real smoky sounding, powerful mm-hmm. voice. At what point in in your in your development as as a singer, did you really start to come to grips with what you were given? Because it, it is a very yeah. unique sounding sounding voice. Well, thank you. That's so nice. I mean, <laughs> I think I was like really delusional when I was young, and I thought I sounded every, like that. Aren't we all? Always. Every kid is. Yeah, I was like I, the voice that that people hear now. I'm serious. Is the voice I heard in my head for almost my entire life, which actually <laughs> makes me like really believe in manifesting. Because I was just like. I sound like Christina Aguilera. I do. And I watch videos and I'm a kid. I didn't. I, I was not that good. Like, <laughs> I really wasn't. Um, so that's a hard question for me to answer for that reason. It's like I felt it within myself before it actually existed. Um, I do remember, like, the, I remember, like, really specific moments. Like when I was in seventh grade, I sang at this one show. That, that really stuck with me. I had It was the first time a stranger came up to me in a way that I could tell I had emotionally touched her. Uh, I was like 12 or 13 and that Hmm. was the first time that had ever happened. That really stuck with me. I was like, oh, okay. It's not just like my mom's friends who tell me that I did a good job. You know, it's like this woman (laughs) felt something, Um, you know, and then I remember when I was like 
maybe like 18, 19, you know, it kind of happened very quickly. It's like, I kind of came into my own and got the background vocal gigs, got signed. It was like very quick. It was like, as soon as I kind of came into my own, I got that validation. So probably around then. Did you take voice lessons? I mean, did you do all yes. that? Yes. I, I, I still take voice lessons. I have an amazing teacher, Jeffrey Allen in LA. He's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, and I took lessons before that Amber Morris in the Bay area. I'm, I'm a big singing nerd. Like I just, <laughs> I, I, like I said, I don't think I was born that good. I think I just am obsessed with it. And I yeah. have practiced almost every single day of my life. It, it's, it's funny. So I, I've interviewed you know, a, a bunch of people who have uh, you know, singers and everyone's got a different approach to it. Some say, I don't, you know, I haven't taken a lesson in my entire life. And then some will say, you know, I've been, I've been screaming metal songs forever. I don't even warm up. I just go on the stage and you know, yeah. belch it all out. And then, yeah. there, and then there are guys who have, you know, you know, people who have been around for a real, real long time who do exactly what you're talking about. They treat it, yeah. they treat it like a professional athlete treats their, their entire physique. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. and the, and the, and the people that do are the ones who have the voices that are maybe more elastic than, than other people, much more flexibility as opposed to somebody who maybe has a half octave range <laughs> as, sure. more limited a, yeah much more limited and the more that you work with it it's like any other muscle if you don't exercise it it begins to atrophy and fall apart and we've all exactly. heard we've all heard those performances where you know someone who's at the tail end of their career just isn't isn't holding their end totally and i think that's why like singing for me is like necessary it's like walking like i don't know what i would do without it and so I probably have a fair amount of just like neuroses and fear, which is keeping me practicing every day. Cause I want to be 80 and I want to be Tony Bennett. You know, I want to be like, I want to be singing forever. And so, yeah, I'm a dork about it. I mean, my warm ups. <laughs> the only people I let hear them are my boyfriend and my best friend and they both hate them. So I yeah. do them all the time and they're just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, you know, so I, I used to like sing in a high school chorus and, but yet, yeah, like I never sing around the house. I don't think my wife has ever heard me sing. And it's just, I, I'm like so self-conscious about mm -hmm. fucking it up. And I know, but and I know it, you have to do it to get there. You I have know. To, like, it's like you just said, it's a muscle. I mean, you know, what you should do, you should just go in your car. That's what I do. I warm up in my car when I really don't want people to hear. That's, 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 that's what a, I, that's another secret. That is what I do. And it, it, in my head, yeah. I'm Freddie Mercury, but I'm more like, you know, <laughs> I'm more like Fred Mertz I'm from sure uh, y'all. <laughs> I'm more, more, more Fred Mertz from I Love Lucy than I am Freddie Mercury. But <laughs> nevertheless, I mean, but uh, but I know I know what you mean. Like you you think you've got this this vision, this this uh, this, this manifestation yeah. in your head, but it takes hard work to get it out of your mouth. And it, and 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 I don't Definitely. know if a lot of people understand how hard that yeah. is. It's very hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you have to be obsessed. You have to be obsessed. That That's like the only thing I can, I'm obsessed with singing and I've tried other stuff in my life. You know, I've dabbled in a little bit of acting, obviously, you know, I'm a songwriter. I am pretty obsessed with that, but it's hard. There's not that many things that I'm obsessed with. You know, it's like, <laughs> I happen to be obsessed with singing. And so that's what I do every day, all day. And I'm obsessed with getting better. I really am. Yeah. Um, it's just fun. I like, it's, it's fun to discover what my voice is capable of. So the release of the new record is uh, the 18th yeah. of November, 
it's mm-hmm. a berry deluxe. Did I get that right? Is that what it's going to be? Yeah. So basically, it's a little confusing, but because BMG, my record label, very wise, you know, people have short attention spans. We have slowly been releasing this album for a while now. So the Hymn for Tomorrow EP, which came out, I think, the 2021, maybe last year. Yeah. Right. And then the Berry EP, which came out this year, are combined for this. That's the album, plus four new songs. So it's you, a lot of this music is already out. But there's four more songs being added, and it's also just hearing the album the way I always intended it to be heard. I always intended for this to be one album, not multiple EPs. And so it's just so we can live on in history as an album. <laughs> and resequenced or a different sequence, or you're just re-sequenced, side one, side re-sequenced. two? No, it's resequenced, which I think is going to probably bug some people, I'm assuming, because they probably get used to the sequence of the EPs. I would understand that. It would probably bug me. But I just have to say I believe in the sequence, so I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the sequence that I want. You... And I'm also printing vinyl, so I want, you know, the albums, that sequence. It's just important that it feels, it flows the way that I feel like it should. You got a, a, a couple of uh, live dates in November. What What's the, the plan heading yeah. forward into to 2023? Are you going to be, you know, touring with this, or or what's the what's the plan? Yeah, you know, I... I have to say, I'm not entirely sure yet. I have some shows for the end of the year, which is great. Uh, a handful of shows. But yes, those November dates are my release dates in LA and New York, which are particularly special. And then um, I think I probably will do some touring with this early. I know I already am doing some in February, at least, um, to be determined. But I, I will do hopefully some more touring. But I, I have to say, I think I'll probably be writing a lot and getting whatever is next together because kind of like you said at the beginning of this i feel like something really great in the air a certain momentum that i've never felt in my career just a certain kind of coming together of things and i feel like what's calling to me is to really just keep going with it and make yeah. whatever is next and keep and keep releasing this music so. well it's it's very rare when i get to talk to someone who is about to become something really special you already started Thank off you. that way but but it's it's kind of cool we all know the artists that we love we don't all know the artists that we're about to love. And I think that's really cool. Oh, that gives me chills. I love that. Yeah, I love I, that. Thank you so much. I'm a, I'm a pretty yeah. special guy. So <laughs> I got a lot of nice things to say. It's true. <laughs> Rosie, congratulations on, on everything you're, you're doing and everything that's, a, that's yet to come. It's a, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, and I wish you all the luck. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Not Can't a problem. Can't wait to hear it all. All right. Take care. <laughs> The name of Rozzy's new EP is called Barry, and the title of the upcoming album is called Barry Deluxe. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, subscribe it, share it with all your friends. You can also email me at baxatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.